Hi, I'm Jesse Schneeblen, Tutor Coordinator for the Business Communication Lab, and I'm your host for today's Walton BizTalk podcast, powered by the Walton College of Business. As you know, we've been talking about professionalization this first semester, and today's episode features Dr. Lizette Lopez-Swidke-Davis, a professor of English here at the University of Arkansas, who teaches a class on professionalism in the humanities. Joining us today, we have Dr. Lizette Lopez-Switke, and she is an assistant professor in the English department here at the University of Arkansas. So welcome, Dr. Switke, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I'm going to kind of start with this very traditional professional question, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I got my uh, undergraduate degree at the University of Miami in English and then went to graduate school at Penn State where I have my master's and a PhD in English and Women's Studies. So it's a dual PhD. I have been at the University of Arkansas now as an assistant professor for four years. And my main areas of experience and expertise in terms of my teaching and my research are 19th century British literature and culture. Um, including popular culture from the period. I do also work in adaptation studies. And the third area that I work in is professionalization, particularly for liberal arts and humanity, arts and humanities students at both the undergraduate and the graduate level. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, so for those who might not know and are in the Walton College, can you tell us, you know, what do you mean when you say adaptation? What I mean is literally what it sounds like. So the adaptation of literature or historical events into other media. And so I actually, because I work historically in 19th century British literature and culture, I'm looking at how texts have been adapted over time and then to the present. So, you know, everyone has seen a film based on a movie. That's a practice that is super old. Can go back to you know antiquity basically. Um, texts have always been adapted, and so what I'm looking at is the way that texts transform through time, and what are the cultural, artistic, and economic factors that are kind of driving cultural production around the practice of adaptation. That's really interesting. <laughs> Thanks for some people. Yeah. Um, I try to make it a little bit more interesting sounding and yeah. teaching, but that's the. That's the uh, the elevator speech in terms yeah. of the professional uh, <laughs> summary of what that means. That's great. We, we might return to that ele- elevator speech yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> in terms of adaptation, so do you, can I just ask if you lean more towards the book is better than the movie? Absolutely <laughs> okay. not. No, oh, okay. No, um, absolutely not. That has been debunked. Okay. In adaptation studies, although it's basically only debunked in adaptation <laughs> studies. So um, most literature professors, I think, would have a very different take on yeah. that. But yeah. hence where I have a unique or more unique contribution. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, really what adaptation studies scholars who are really interested in adaptation as its own kind of artistic practice, we're interested in, you know, situating adaptations as equally and sometimes I would argue more important than the original text that they based on because the adaptation is the reason why we keep coming back to them so my entire research project we can be like really started because I was fascinated by how many Frankenstein adaptations yeah (laughs) and so you know it's a text that you know you can you can walk into a room of four-year-olds and you say Frankenstein 
Mm-hmm. And they all kind of have some association with yeah. that word. Yeah. There's no way that they would have read the novel. Yeah, like, of course. No and so it's a concept. And it's not the only concept like this, but it's like, you know, one of these big texts that are so pervasive culturally that people know them even though they've never read the book. They couldn't tell you who wrote it. They couldn't tell you when it was published. Like, historically, they have no yeah. idea how to situate it. Yeah. historically and the reason why people have that kind of you know what people often refer to as cultural literacy mm-hmm. has everything to do with adaptation okay so. yeah and most people think that frankenstein is the monster right, right which right. is yeah, <laughs> it's not true when you think of frankenstein yeah. you often think of the green monster with the screws coming out of his head right. but that's not at all you know yeah. i i thought that until i read the novel and then i realized that that's not actually the story at all. Right. And so um, people kind of situate that confusion mm-hmm. because of films. Yeah. But that confusion actually began in the 1830s hmm. through adaptation for the stage. Okay. And people started referring to the yeah. monster as Frankenstein back then. So it's a practice of, which is like 100 years before mm-hmm. that famous Boris Karloff film. So it's a practice that's been around for like a really long time. Yeah. And people don't realize that. And so that's where I'm, a lot of people who are doing adaptation studies are working in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually looking at kind of historical links to kind of show us how this practice emerges, at least, you know, in a different period than our own. Yeah. That's really fascinating. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your professional experience prior to your professorship? Yeah. So the reason, part of the reason that I do professionalization for under for undergraduates and graduate students in the arts and humanities, mostly around English studies, but it's 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 open to to others, mm-hmm. is that this is a conversation that's been going on for a while in the humanities, but really like post two thousand and eight, after the kind of economic downturn during that time. I finished my PhD actually in 2008 and like five days after I defended my dissertation, the like economy. <laughs> and Good was, timing. Yeah, it was just, I was like, oh, great. And so all these jobs that were I was applying to basically got cut, all mm-hmm. these positions. And so I ended up doing something that's very uncommon, I guess, um, in, in terms of like people not knowing it, uh, is I ended up working in university administration for four years. And then, you know, kept publishing and doing things on the side and was able to kind of return to the academic track, which I think happens more frequently in, you know, some of the more professionally oriented fields. Definitely in business, you see people going from industry to academia, perhaps mm-hmm. going back and forth. Pretty uncommon in the arts and humanities, especially in the humanities, to see that model. Um, but it was one that I was kind of forced into, but yeah. um, when I returned... To academia, I mean, I, I, I came back different. I'm not in a weird, like, <laughs> cemetery kind of way. I don't know if you want to know. Um, but I came back changed and, and really committed to this idea that, you know, our students need to be prepared for a range of careers. And I am probably one of the people who are better equipped to do yeah. that because I have experience in both areas. Mm-hmm. And so I've started, I mean, almost immediately after coming to the University of Arkansas, um, developing courses to that effect and working with both the graduate students and the undergraduate students on on kind of thinking about professionalization in ways that um, they really hadn't done before here. Anyway. Yeah, you've started teaching a professionalization course in the humanities in the English department, as you mentioned. Yeah. So can you tell us more about that course? So I teach it at both the undergraduate level and the graduate level. And 
So basically, I mean, for, for both of them, the thing that unites them is that, you know, usually when people ask English majors, you know, and, and, and this is true also of a lot of the humanities, like history, philosophy, it's like, what are you going to do with that major? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of job? And the only thing that most people will associate with that is like teaching or mm-hmm. like editing and publishing, working in a library, which is actually, you need a different kind of degree for. <laughs> um, so it's totally like incorrect perception. Yeah. It's, it's helpful to have humanities degrees as well. So part of what I'm trying to do is to really show our students that there's like a range of careers mm-hmm. um, that you are not only qualified for but like would be really happy in yeah and I, I think happiness and satisfaction with your job is actually a really important yeah thing I agree. in your life like, <laughs> yes, you know definitely. you have to go there every day mm-hmm. so you should hopefully kind of like what you're doing mm-hmm. and so I think it's important for us to have these kind of really intentional conversations because for the most part, humanities students don't have those intentional conversations. It's not built into the curriculum mm-hmm. the way that it is in the professionally oriented fields like business or engineering or like, you know, the applied sciences. Yeah. So, or nursing or, you know, a lot of other majors that you have kind of a, a, a clear clearer career track um, doesn't mean that you will always end up doing that thing yeah people change their mind mm-hmm. I mean you're not going to pick at 18 years old like what do you do for the rest of your life I mean you'll probably change your mind along the way and so part of what I'm I'm hoping to instill in students is just you know what how do how do we go about exploring different kind of careers how do we really go about finding careers that are best suited to your personality and your interests mm-hmm. which I often don't think people think about enough. They're like, oh, I'm kind of good at math. I'm kind of good at this thing. Oh, I'm going to go into business or I'm going to go into this other area. And, you know, there's not kind of more intentional thought put into, you know, what would be a good fit for me right now? And then how could I keep building on that skill set? And so, you know, I do a lot of the work that you see you know, sometimes people think, oh, well, career centers do that. And, you know, they do do versions of this, but for the humanities students in particular and the art students also, I think that there's a different kind of nuanced language that needs to inform that understanding. And because it really is not a linear career path. I mean, people in the humanities and arts just do all kinds of things. And so a lot of it is, you know, kind of doing some kind of reflective exercises, but then also figuring out how to talk about your interests and your skills in ways that are professionally relevant. But again, it's not it's not something that is as intuitive in the humanities as it is in again in, in more professionally oriented. Yeah, fields. I think I just had a conversation actually with someone in the Walton College about because it's orientation mm-hmm. week right now about this idea of the linear career path. So often people come in with this set idea of, I'm going to do this and nothing else, and then end up somewhat disappointed later when when the paths change. And if I've learned nothing else (laughs) becoming an adult, it's that life always had, there are several paths, and they're very windy. (laughs) And that's okay, right? And that's a completely fine thing to do. Just you don't always end up where you intend to go. Um, and that's, again, that's what someone in the Walton College, I won't name names, <laughs> yeah. but um, that's what we had just spoken about, how their degree was in, I think, the sciences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've been working in Walton for years, you know. And, yeah, so it's just really interesting that 
you know, don't don't let that discourage students from picking something, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, be open, I think, to change and to uh, figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that for me as an adaptation studies scholar is really interesting is that I see, you know, the things that I'm working on in adaptation studies really applicable here that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I mean, there's just no way that you're always going to be static. I mean, part of growth is about evolving and changing and you know part of that is adaptation too is that we need to adapt to new technologies to new demands right I mean um, one of the things that you know 20 years ago nobody would ever said like social media manager was like a job a real job because people would have been like what's social media right and so the professional landscape is constantly changing and evolving and we as individuals need to learn how to adapt to that changing landscape because it really it's it's a it's a very different situation especially now compared to I don't know a generation ago where you know maybe you'd had a more linear career mm-hmm. path but the like most of the data out there now just shows that people will make multiple career switches yeah. and you know depending on a number of different factors. I mean, your interests may change, your, you know, family dynamic may change. You may you have to, you know, follow a partner across the country yeah. because they're, they got a great job offer and you go there, or you may be the one who has a great job offer and your partner follows you and you have to be able to be adaptable and figure out how do you, how do you, again, navigate a changing landscape? Nothing's going to be, nothing's static. And I mean, if, if it were static, it'd probably be pretty boring. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people. Yeah. For me, it would be kind of boring. I think it would be for me, too. Um, I think that idea of being adaptable is a really important skill. Um, And some people might not think of it as a skill, but it it is something that you have to learn and kind of have to sharpen Mm -hmm. because change isn't always easy, but I think, you know, if you're open to being fluid and being able to move between places and, and people... I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and so in the classes that I teach, a lot of the textbooks actually, you know, they they talk about this process. You know, there's, you know, profiles of people and, like, what their career trajectories have mm-hmm. been. One of the books that is, is, is again, it's it's for primarily liberal arts majors. You majored in what? <laughs> um, by Catherine Brooks. The, 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 that book really advocates for this model of, purposeful or intentional wandering, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, you're kind of always, no matter what it is that you're doing, you're gaining valuable skill sets and experiences and, you know, knowledge that could help you in a wide range of careers. And it's just about being able to be, you know, much more kind of conscious mm-hmm. in how you wander. Yeah. Right. So that you're not just lost. <laughs> yeah. Right? You yeah. don't just get lost nowhere. But, you know, any particular moment, you know, I don't know, as an educator, I think every opportunity is, an, is a learning opportunity, mm-hmm. almost every moment. You don't know where that's going to come from. And so to be more conscious and intentional and purposeful in realizing that that's the case and, again, seeing how that can help you build a more kind of well-rounded prof- professional profile. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, when they think of the humanities, they don't always immediately jump to this idea of professionalization yeah. or even career readiness. So, you know, I'm wondering, you know, how how did you how did you kind of move into this? Was it because you saw a need for it? You know, how did what kind of sparked your passion for this idea of, of professionalization? Yeah, so I did a lot of my own wandering when like <laughs> that professional move out, yeah. outside of academia. So that I think helped it. 
But to be perfectly honest, you know, as a graduate student in an English department, I the class that I taught the most was business writing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I was kind of training in this field all along in, you know, teaching students the ins and outs of effective communication mm-hmm. through a business context, right? And so, and I loved teaching that class. And there were so many of my peers who hated teaching <laughs> that class. And I was like, why? Why yeah. did you hate this? I mean, you can just make it whatever you really want. What was there? Did they give you any reason? They just reasoning? thought it was boring. Okay. Like, <laughs> I want to study this other, you know, teach this other thing or whatever it was. Or, or they hadn't, I think it hadn't clicked for them. And so I, and I had, I struggled with the class at the beginning, mm-hmm. but then after kind of getting feedback, I mean, I like being in the classroom, and so, like, getting to know my students and, like, what were their needs, right? Because yeah. it was, you know, that was the thing. It was, like, I'm the English person, yeah. you're business <laughs> folks, and so, like, how are we doing this? Um, and so, I mean, after a couple of times working through it, it was, it was never a disastrous course, but I was like, well, it's not as fun as maybe this other class. But I started realizing, well, what are the opportunities for growth? And to be perfectly honest, the place that the students wanted the most was in this job, career professionalization. Okay. So what okay. began as a unit on how to write an effective resume and a cover letter that was like a week-long unit mm-hmm. turned into a month to six weeks at times and, you know, towards the end of the semester or t- towards the end of my teaching, continuously teaching this course, where we would do how to write different resumes for different types of jobs? Yeah. How do we write cover letters for different types of jobs? How do we um, think about interviewing in a really purposeful way? How do we start to bring together interviewing with the art of storytelling? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, when you're interviewing people, the thing that's going to stick, right, is if they give you some really good anecdotes yeah. that are going to make them memorable. Yeah. Like people have this kind of false idea that the best person for the job gets the job it's like so, I mean hopefully you hire a good person yeah but you know by the time you're at the interview stage most people are pretty good because you've kind of weeded them out in the process mm-hmm. right so they probably have skill sets and things that are going to be a good fit like what's actually going to get you the job is people wanting to work with you yeah <laughs> wanting, oh, I want this person told really good stories I remember personal yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah I don't mind sharing an office with them yeah I don't mind hanging out with them you know, at the water cooler. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that actually really will, at the end, land you the job. Like, all yeah. these other things that you do will get you interviews. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your your ability to kind of really connect on a personal goal level mm-hmm. um, is, is going to go a long way for you. Or for, not you, everybody. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, of in, course. In terms of looking at what their next career move is going to be and what opportunities are there. So, um, I think that... You know, the art of storytelling, which is like, you know, that's the domain of literary studies, right? <laughs> you would think that right. all English people right. would want to but, participate you know, that's, in this. Right, but, yeah. I, but that's actually part of what I've refigured along the way. So, you know, to kind of come back to your question, because I get lost in my own storytelling sometimes. <laughs> so I had all this experience teaching business writing and seeing how much the students were getting yeah. from really thinking about the job market as like a, a rhetorical situation. Yeah. And then my own experiences moving through, you know, doing a different type of career and using that as a learning opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't always the happiest in that other job that I had, but 
I learned so much. Yeah. You know, it completely transformed me as a professor. So, again, when I came back, I was like, I'm going to make one of these courses Yeah. Um, for students. Because I ended up mentoring kind of informally a lot of my peers, too, who mm-hmm. were in the same boat. They had degrees and they, they, you know, they had trained to be professors, but there were less professor jobs or they weren't desirable for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they needed to do something else or they were decided, like, professor thing isn't for me but all of my mentors only know how to talk about becoming a professor yeah which is you know that is the reality for a lot of people yeah. and so you know I, I, that's where I saw the need um, yeah and again I, I know that some versions of this course or you know informal training like exists out there I'm not the first person to do it but I mean there's not there's not very much of it out there so yeah it's a it's definitely a need there's a huge need like like area and potential for growth you know the, the skills and like the the things that I cover mm-hmm. in that class are really applicable basically to anyone um it's just that you know I I tend to come at it from a different kind of perspective mm-hmm. and I am trying to do it from you know like from a humanistic yeah humanities perspective and you know what does it mean to you know, not just having purposeful wandering or intentional wandering, but, you know, like, what does it mean to lead a purposeful life that yeah. you're happy with? And mm-hmm. these are things that are real, you know? Yeah. Ways, so even with my own stuff, like, there were plenty of existential crises along the way, and I try to be really upfront yeah. with students and, you know, open that conversation up because I think that a lot of students at both the undergraduate level and the graduate level, you know, will sometimes feel like they're the only ones yeah. who are just like, oh, I do, I do, I do. And like, no, everyone in this room has yeah. these questions. And, you know, some people will have this, or most people will have these questions throughout their lives, right? Yeah. It's going to keep coming up. So for me, it's not just like, how do you land a job, right? That's part of what I'm doing. But you know, part of it is also kind of thinking about long term. Like, yeah. all right, if you do a next career move, mm-hmm. you know, how might you then reposition yourself and re-situate yourself and talk about your experience in different ways? Which, again, I think sometimes it's just too abstract if you haven't gone through it mm-hmm. yet. But yeah. I mean, trust me, five years <laughs> from now, you're going to think a little bit differently. Yeah. <laughs> and five years from then, you'll think a little bit differently, too. And, of course. You know, that's... So, so kind of putting that out there and, and, and just really talking about the importance of so many things, including mentorship and like mm-hmm. reaching out to people, um, which, you know, I, I don't think happens enough, I mean, maybe across the board. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that's not field specific. Yeah. I think that sometimes we don't think about, like, how do I find mentorship that's not like a formal mentoring program? Like, mm-hmm. how do I talk to people? Personal connection. Yeah. Yeah. Where, like, you know, you can you know, get advice in some Absolutely. ways, but it's not like, I'm only here to get advice from you. Yeah, um, professional advice, yeah, exactly. I mean, because you can learn from so many people mm-hmm. about so many different things, and, you know, that's that's part of it, but you have to make that connection. That yeah. Connection. Thank you for listening to the Walton Biz Talk podcast featuring Dr. Swifty. Tune in next week as we continue this conversation and hear more about what students can do to improve their professional skills. In the meantime, students can visit our office in the Walton College of Business, room 118.